Hello, and welcome back to the first episode of the Leverage and Beverage Podcast, um, a show about business and the liquids that we drink. Um, we're here today to hear stories uh, and talk about strategy in the process of building, growing, and actualizing an idea. So this is the first episode. Um, we're going to start with uh, a throwback from someone who I've known for a long time, and we're really just going to get into it, chop it up a bit. Um, about how to create leverage in uh, certain business environments and um, where those ideas come from to begin with. So uh, without further ado, um, here's our guest, Adam Adam Steele. Adam, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me here, Greg. Um, so before we jump into it, how about you give uh, the people a little bit of your background on how you got started, um, what it is that you do, and um, where you kind of um, are pointed at, at this time. So my background is in landscape architecture, went to college for four years to study landscape architecture, started out in the landscape side of the construction of landscapes back when I was in high school that slowly evolved to the pool business is what I do now. Uh, we are a growing, uh, company down in the Jersey shore side of the woods, uh, we build uh, luxury pools for really high-end clients out of New York City and various parts of the country. Our business is heading into the really high-end design build part of the field, starting to expand past our reach in New Jersey, starting to look at other states um, and where that could possibly bring us to one day. Uh, cool. So let's give the people some background here. So uh, your first company, let's, let's start there. Uh, if I remember correctly, because I was once one of your employees, uh, Adam Adam's lawn care is that correct? That's correct. The ALC uh, was our first throwback back in <laughs> high school. I remember, man. We actually were, were down the street from here, and we I remember pulling weeds, uh, picking up old bricks, and um, honestly, dude, it, it, I actually kind of liked it. And to give you a quick, you, you're a good boss. Let's put it that way. Um, but kind of, I never heard the backstory. I never heard of where that idea came from, what was the thinking there? How did you, I guess, um, get that idea to come to fruition? We, I mean, we, we were in high school. So sure. what, what, what did that, what did that look like? I mean, I know a lot of people, it's a thing that a lot of young people do is they, they start landscaping businesses. Um, but what made that switch for you? So when I was really young, I always had a creative mind. I've always wanted to build things uh, make things better. So I started off in the landscape business because it was something that was easily attainable for me. I could buy a lawnmower. I could start small. That slowly grew from a little push mower business around the neighborhood and was able to then take my my skills and my thoughts to college and actually learn the real practice of actual landscape architecture. Yeah. And, and so I think what I want people to, to understand here is that's a jump there. So I think a lot of people have access to a lawnmower, either their parents have one, Correct. an uncle has one or something. Sure. But it's like, when did it start going from, okay, I have one lawnmower and I might cut my neighbor's lawn, you know, once a week. When did that become, okay, now I have five different lawns. I might need more equipment. And then let's make it tangible. How did, how did you get that ball rolling as far as opening up capital to, to purchase more equipment uh, as far as bringing on your first employees, having the cash flow to do that. Uh, where did that journey kind of start? So for me, it was a little bit different than most people would experience, you know, starting a full company in their twenties, thirties, forties. I started really small, literally a push mower, walk into the neighbor's lawns, uh, saved up all my money in the summertime from mowing these lawns, decided I was able to buy my next 
riding lawnmower so I could expand my reach to not just my neighborhood, but the neighboring streets next to us. Um, and little by little, I was able to grow my small little push lawnmower business, was able to afford to buy my first truck when I was 17. Um, from there, I was able to then go into different areas that my clients family lived in either, you know, cousins, brothers, kids. So it allowed me to grow my 15, 20 person reach to 40 or 50 people. So the scaling aspect for me was really just being able to obtain those customers and then be able to hold on to them while in school, which was also the tricky part. You know, I was taking care of these after school and weekends and just being able to save enough money up because at 17, it's hard to get a loan for 50 grand. Right. Uh, so everything was just bought and saved and the other, they were able to loan me a money for a truck. So you're, you're in the heart of high school, 17 years old. There's a lot that can, that can happen there. There's a lot that has to be given up sure. to do this. What would you say is the biggest thing that you had to give up to, to make that move or to kind of create that leverage from going from, I'm mowing one person's lawn. Now I, I need more time hours. I need to create some more capital to build this thing. What was the biggest thing that you felt you had to like sacrifice there? So as far as sacrificing, I, you know, I obviously I sacrificed a lot of times so that was weekends, not with friends, weekends, not at home, nights, not at home. I'd get off baseball at five o'clock and drive home with my mower, my pickup truck and go hit four or five lawns every day after baseball practice. So it sacrificed a lot of friend and family time to really be able to just go to work. Yeah. Nothing more fun than that, right? <laughs> you know, from, from baseball, practice. taking the lawnmower to school and driving home. <laughs> um, so the ins and outs, I, again, I like to be tangible with things. I think people understand, okay, I have a lawnmower. I buy a second one. I now bought a riding mower. I bought a truck. What else was crucial for you in other aspects of the business? So you have to start thinking about as you're hiring people, what do those decisions look like? What are you looking for? And then, I mean, you also got to have processes in place. It's not like you can cut every lawn and people have to get paid. So systems have to be in place to actually pay them. So sure. where did, I mean, I'm sure that was, um, you know, a lot of time to, to think about that, or is it kind of the thing where you, I get to this problem and I, I solve it, move on next problem, solve that one. Was it kind of a very inch by inch or was it like, how, how did that, how did that go for you? So starting out, it was inch by inch. You know, I had no business background. I came from a family that had a very knowledgeable background in business. So I was able to learn from my parents and uh, on how to run a business, but it was really inch by inch. No one ever mowed lawns in my family. No one ever really started a landscape company. So for me, it was, okay, how do I figure this so, out? So that's more of a learned thing. It's, it's not learn. not genetic. No, you, so, you, didn't, you didn't get your lawn mowing skills from your dad. I did not get my, so this is all learned processes. And, you know, so it was one, it was one property at a time, one day at a time, one employee at a time. Did you get them from your mom? No. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was the hardest part about growing. And it still is, you know, uh, when we were, when I was first starting out it was okay. Now I can't do this myself. I have too many to literally go and cut every property. So it was okay. I have to find an employee. So who do you go to first friends and family? So you find someone your age to help you out. Uh, you start working longer hours on Saturdays because that person might not be available after school. So now you're working Saturday, Sundays, longer right. hours. And then little by little, you start hiring a third or fourth and maybe you start a second crew. So, so let's get personal for a second. So sure. um, why, why'd you, uh, why'd you hire me? 
because your good looks and your good workability. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. See, yeah, that translates really well on the on cutting grass. <laughs> no, so I, I think it was, uh, you know, when I hired you, it was really, you know, going back to we were friends. You know, we are friends. Trying to uh, bring someone in that I knew that I could trust that would show up every day. I mean, that's the hardest part in business is getting someone that when they say they're going to come to work actually shows up to work at seven o'clock and is there on time, not four hours later forgets to come. Um, yeah. So you were kind of encroaching on another area here. So at a very young age, you really got into the, um, let's say the HR department, if you will, Sure. as far as having to um, deal with things of hiring, hiring disputes, people not showing up to work and how those get handled. Um, did you have any experiences like that, that, that kind of stick out as far as, you know, people where you're like, Hey, listen, I kind of got to lay down the law here of, you know, I, I, I like you. I'm glad you're here, but at the same time, I'm trying to run a business. Those are real life conversations, and sure. um, I, I think that a lot of times the the idea of starting a business um, it can be very um, what's the word? Um, everyone sees the, through the, ro the rose colored glasses. It's very it looks very nice from the outside. Things seem to be going well, but there's a lot of internal things that you have to deal with. So Absolutely. anything along those lines that really struck a chord with you? So it's hard, you know, when you hire friends and family, you kind of walk on glass because, you know, you want to stay friends with these people or family, you kind of have to stay friends with them. Um, you know, I have a one, one instance where I had a family member working for me and he decided when and if he was going to show up because he was family. Um, and that, that was tough because when I finally had to break it down that this is work and works work and it has to operate and make money and stay in business. And we had to go our separate ways. It definitely created a little bit of tension friction for a little while um, until he came to the understanding that, you know, he had to do what he had to do. And I had to, I had to uh, remove him from the company, but it's funny how things come around years later, he needed a job again and we ended up becoming best friends again. That's great, man. But I, I think there's, it's not like that was all for nothing, like going forward. And I don't, I don't know how many employees you've had over, over your course of being in business, but I'm sure that what you learned there has at least somewhat carried through to, to other areas of the business. It has. And it was a good, it was good to learn it at such a young age because now that we've grown and, you know, we've hired been through tens of hundreds of employees and businesses changed and evolved. It, it helped me learn on how to, you know, really, if something has to happen, you know, you have to fire somebody, which is always a tough right. thing because people rely on you for an income and feed their family. Um, you know, the right ways to do it and better understand on how to do it. Cause I think that's what differentiates a good boss is not something that just clears house for no reason that actually, you know, has meaning behind what they're doing. Absolutely. Um, so I'm a big proponent of, you know, I think some of the, the best ways that we learn are going through things ourselves and really, I guess, finding and pulling out the lessons in those things. So for you, I mean, I'm sure over the course of your, your tenure, you've had a lot of different, um, uh, I guess you could say, um, hardships or different th bumps you've hit along the road. Give us an example of, of a hardship you, you hit at one point along the way, and it, you get kind of tested you in a bunch of different ways. Um, whether that's, hey, listen, I'm, I'm behind on, on payroll or uh, all my mowers spontaneously combust at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, sure, that, that could happen, right? Um, so just give, give us an idea of something that you learned. I mean, that, that's, that's what I'm interested in. You know, it, even in some of the, the business that I do, I, I always try to take whatever 
I'm working on and whether it goes good, I, I want to learn from it. Whether it goes poorly, I want to learn from it. So let's hear some poor examples. Let's kind of get in the dirt here about some of the, the poor things that have happened. So I think everybody that's self-employed will realize at some point that uh, customers don't pay their bills. So chasing money down is always our big thing. So what happens is when you're small or even if you're big, because the bigger you get, the bigger the numbers you get. When people stop paying bills or slow to pay their bills and you rely on that income for your daily operations and things really start to slow up, you really get to see what your business is made of, you know, how you can get through those times, how you can collect, how you can stay afloat, how, you know, when times are going bad that you don't, you have the reserves to hold you through. I think that's the biggest thing that, you know, young businesses struggle with is, oh my God, we're making all this money. We can spend all this money. We're going to buy, we're going to grow, we're going to grow. And all of a sudden four customers don't pay you for 60 days, 90 days, a hundred days. All of a sudden you have no money. You can't pay your bills. You can't make payroll. I think that's the hardest thing that you go through as a young business is, you know, being able to control your cash flow. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, ca cash flow, I mean, I talk about this all the time, but cash flow is probably the most important thing in any business. There are there are times where, you know, a lot of other things could be doing poorly, but cash flow allows you the flexibility to make moves and to do things like no nothing else can. If you have assets, that's great. But at the end of the day, cash flow, cash flow is going to allow you to continue moving. And in business, it's really about continuing to move, continuing to get more clients in the door, continuing to sure. cut more lawns, continuing to do, you know, whatever else that business is growing towards. So I guess the, the you said that was the primary focus for a while was probably lawns. Yes. And what was what was the next step there or what was your thinking of okay i'm doing lawns what else can i be doing what was the the thought process as far as business expansion so while i was cutting lawns i was realizing this isn't going to be this can't be a full-time paying job for me there has to be more you know the money is great but the expenses are even greater so I'm like, okay there has to be another avenue in land so, so so you're saying that the that as far as just lawns your expenses were too much to continue that as a sustainable business model. Correct. So I'm like, okay, if we're going to sustain this business, we have to look at different avenues. Now we're not going to get rid of lawn maintenance because we realize this is bringing the customers in. But now that we have these customers, what else can we offer them that they are, that they can hire us for since we're already on their property that we can bring in more money with the same expenses. So that's what we offered mulching, planting, pruning, um, snow removal. So I'm already there. I already have this client. So the acquisition cost is done because I already have them. So now how can I make that client worth more value, more money to me and to the company? So that's when we really started going more into the landscape installation side of it. So putting in the mm -hmm. patios, putting in the plants and then maintaining everything that we put in. And that really allowed us to take our business to the next level. We went from three, four employees to 20, 25 employees over the course of the next five years. So out of all those expansion areas, what would you say was the, was, was there any, any one that was like, okay, yeah, yeah, this, this makes sense. You, have you stumbled upon something that was like, wow, I didn't realize how needed, needed this was. So the construction side of it uh, was the biggest thing for us. So the construction side of it really took care of all the plantings and the masonry uh, for us. That was our big, like, okay, our customers need this. Uh, there's not a lot of people in our area where I was servicing that was offering it. 
um, especially at an affordable price. There were so many large companies with hundreds of employees that needed to be able to pay their back end, their back office. So they were charging much more. So I was trying to create a niche of an affordable service, an amazing product to the right clientele, especially the, the size of our company, we could do that. And it really allowed us to propel to the next level. So whenever I think about certain service business models, um, like the lawn care service business, I think a good a good thing about it is that at least that sticks out in my mind is that it's recurring. So Correct. depending on who my client is, whether that's a business, whether that's an individual, they might want me to come to their house once every three months, or they might want me to come every week. So I'm guessing that was that was part of the initial thinking on your end was this is good because it's not like it's a, it's a one and done with every client. Once I bring a client on, hopefully they will be a client for years to come. And I'm creating um, places to produce more cash flow on a weekly, monthly, or bi-monthly basis. Correct. Now that's what I always said about the actual lawn cutting of the yeah you know, the lawn service part of the business, whether that was uh, mowing or fertilization. Was okay. This is our cash flow. We're not setting the world on fire with it. But we know every Friday we're going to Mrs. Smith's house to cut our grass and we're making $40 times X amount of months, X amount of customers. So I knew that was my cash flow. But really to then bring the business to make more sustainable money is that's when we got into the installations. But that weekly service is really what kept the cash flow of the business there. So that was kind of padding your your bottom line. And then everything else on top of that was kind of more it just helped the business to grow more gravy, more to to reinvest in the business, more to buy more trucks, more to hire more workers. So it was good to have, Hey, listen, we have our basic needs met by doing some of the um, residual stuff by having and coming back in and doing the lawn care by doing the, the fertilization. And now we can start to grow in other areas. Exactly. Um, No, that's great. And I, and I think that that doesn't just apply to this business probably applies to a a ton of different businesses. Yeah. I expect any self-employed entrepreneur out there we'll see whether the business is cabinetry landscaping pools brewing you can see what you know the the reoccurring business of the the day-to-day stuff helps just carry the business along speaking of brewing let's take a quick break here we have a a beverage a beverage here for us during this uh, beverage and leverage podcast and here we're drinking a a czech pilsner from a local brewery called dr brew little so uh cheers to that man and uh, thank you for enjoying this with me and we'll we'll kind of get into some feedback on this beer as as we go through the rest of the show but um thanks for being with us so far and um i kind of want to transition now to the next part of the story so the the long care i was a i was a part of that very early on I got to see that like boots on the ground. Um, and then you started this expansion. So you're moving into other areas, moving into the construction side of things. Now, it seems like there was a flip here because now you were once Adam's lawn care and now you're steel signature pools. Is that, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So let, let's, let's take this nice and slow, but that, that transition. So we're in, in the construction phase. Um, something had to have happened there. Something had to have happened where you're like, there's either an opportunity here. You must have learned something. Um, I know you mentioned going to some conferences at some point as far as, you know, um, hard paving and things of that nature. Yeah. So what what did that look like? What, what was like the, the progression of um, I'm doing this one thing. I'm really starting to grow. I'm into the construction now. And now you're in a tangential, but really different business. So what, you know, what really happened for us was... I was in the landscape installation side of it. And I realized, 
wow, there's really no high-end custom pool builders. A lot of track builders, guys that will just pop in 100 pools, 200 pools a year. They all look the same. They have a little book that they go by and they build the same pools over and over again. So so it's there are pool builders, but they're kind of just like um, copy and paste, copy co- and cookie paste, cutter. Cookie cutter. And the customization was so minor that you really anybody in the pool business could do it. I said, well, with my creativity, there's there's a need for someone to go outside the box. And what was like the, the market research at that time? Like, was this a need that you had people asking you for? Or how did you how did you assess, hey, I think there might be something here? So as I was doing a lot of my landscape installations locally, I would people would ask me, hey, do you know someone that could build pools? We're looking to get a pool. And I'd always refer them somewhere and they were never happy. No, no, my neighbor didn't like him. Oh, my other neighbor didn't like that guy. So I started saying, well, why don't I do it? I feel like I have the clientele so far as like, because these customers have been my customers for eight years. So why don't I take a shot at it? So this is good here. So this is where we're actually creating a really nice point of leverage. So we're taking this existing client base that we've used for a tangential, but completely separate business. Yes. And now you see an opportunity and you don't have this entire base to go back to and say, hey, listen, here's something we're doing. Some of you have asked about this before, but now we can actually we can actually do this. Um, so I don't want to jump ahead or put the, put the card ahead of the horse sure. here, but like, um, so what, what was that? So you saw people asking for it, and then and then what happened? So we we started off small. You know, we started our first pool was really just a gigantic spa. Uh, wanted to test it, make sure we could do it. Once I realized, okay, we can do this. My clients want it. We have a business. So little by little, we started with two, three pools a year, and now we've grown our company to anywhere between 40 and 50 pools a year, mainly all luxury high-end pools on the Jersey coast. Um, Really just chase that, hey, we need someone that can do what someone else can't. And that's really what grew our business. We just kept doing what everybody else kept turning away. Oh, it's too complicated. Can't be done. I wanted those jobs. So that's what we chased down. And eight years later, we've shut the landscape side of it down, and we're just full-blown pools. Um, and, and so what, what have you done with the landscaping side? So, I mean, I mean, I'm sure other people possibly listening to this have had businesses in the past where they've been in one situation, transferred to another situation. And I, I don't know. I mean, I guess you can go a different variety of different ways here, but is, is that completely gone now? Is it, has it been transitioned to something else or is, are you just onward and upper from here with, with the pools and kind of, it's just dropped by the wayside. It, so we ended up selling a lot of our maintenance contracts off. We decided that if I'm going to make a run in the pool business, I've got to be fully committed. I got to be there 24 seven, um, especially with the complexity of the builds we're doing. So what I decided to do is I decided just to sell off what I can and shut down the rest of the business. Um, realizing that my clientele and where I travel for the pools is not in my backyard. So I can't be traveling with a landscape crew all over the state and, you know, outside our state. So I realized that that was to me had to just be shut down because of how explosive the business has become on the pool side. Um, really just focusing on design build of pools and we can sub everything out on the landscape and masonry side to uh, other companies that we work with. So, so it seems to me that whenever, like, like you said here, people were not doing these jobs they couldn't find people to do these jobs for them. It wasn't to the customization that they wanted. So that indicates to me that there's a learning curve here. Yes. People didn't want to learn how to do this. They were set in their ways as far as doing something, didn't necessarily want to pivot to something else. So how did that, I mean, and, and if, even for you, it's like you wanted to do it, 
but it's like, you still have to learn how to do it. It's Absolutely. not, it's not like you just, okay, I, I was do, cutting lawns. Now I'm going to go, you know, build a pool. <laughs> it's not, it's not just digging a sure. hole in the ground, throwing some water in it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So what, what was the education part on your side? And again, this could be formal, this could be informal. And one of the biggest things I always preach is so much can be learned now through, through outside tools, through resources in our communities, through, through YouTube videos, through podcasts, so much can be learned, uh, which is part of one of the reasons why I want to get some of these stories out there as far as business and creating leverage in business. But I mean, for you, where did that education come from or where did you look to explore that? So I learned my basic instruction knowledge from school, but I realized that 95% of the stuff I learned to really grow my business and be creative in the pool business was just networking, talking to the right people, meeting the right people and not locally across the country. So listening to podcasts, getting involved in different organizations, getting involved um, with different classes around the country, really more opened my mind to different creative avenues, not so much teaching me, okay, we're, this is how we're going to build a fire feature, this is how we're going to build a wall, but this is how things are made. So use your mind and use your knowledge and use your your years of experience to create your own theories and, and creative decisions. And that's really what drove us to build what no one else can. I mean, a lot of our pools that we're building now, people don't even want to touch them. That's how we get involved. They're like, no, I can't, this is way too, this can't be done. It's impossible. Nobody can build this. And I think it's just my years. And I, I give myself leverage on my age because we're more of the technology generation. generation. So I, I have the ability, I think, to find the information faster than someone would that would be 60, 70 years old who didn't grow up you know, with iPhones and being able to hop on the internet. Oh, let me see if I can find this real quick and search around and in five minutes have the answer. Right. So I think that has come to my benefit and just meeting the right, you know, meeting the right people has really just helped me throughout the years. What would you say to somebody who, you know, I guess you mentioned networking. Networking is obviously very important. I think some people sometimes think it has to be this formal thing where, oh, everyone's going to this restaurant at five o'clock and let's talk about things. And it's like, it doesn't always have to be like that. It can be a lot more casual than that. It could be you're just in your day to day and just talking to somebody about how their day is going. Oh, you do this. Oh, cool. And just, and just maintaining contact. So Absolutely. any, any tips or pointers for people who might be like, Hey, listen, I've heard networking is great, but I haven't really done it in my past. I would like to do it more. I mean, what, what would you say to that? I think for me, for networking, I think formal networking in my line of work is actually a negative because you don't get that one-on-one -on -one experience with the people you want to talk to. My best networking is just picking up the phone and calling somebody, whether I know the person or not, or I get their contact from a friend and say, oh, this guy in Tampa, Florida, he's the man for fire features. Call him. Hey, I just introduced myself. Hey, I'm Adam. I'm from New Jersey. Just want to talk that could turn into a five minute conversation. You could talk into a four hour conversation. And now we talk three times a month, four times a month, twice a year. Those are the connections that mean more than a social gathering network. Simply because if I ever have a problem, I know I can get on the phone and call that person. Hey, I'm in the middle of doing something. And now I have a contact. I have a contact for life. Where if you go to a social networking event or a publicly gathering network event, you're really not networking with one person. It's a group of people. And sometimes you get lost in conversation more than the learning. But the, the biggest thing is just listen to people, you know, ask questions. 
Cause that's how the, you know, the conversations go deeper than just, you know, superficial conversation. Yeah. And it seems to me that sometimes these, these formal networking things, it's like, while they can be good and while, you know, I, sure. I, I would, you know, I, I still frequent them sometimes nothing super crazy, but if, Hey, Oh, there's one. Okay. I guess I'll go and see who I meet, but inevitably everyone knows that everyone else is there to network. And so some of it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't happen as organically or- It's not organic. And they, I think it's more like speed dating. You, yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, talk to him for five minutes, talk to him for five minutes. Oh, this person wants to be five minutes. And if you're someone that everybody wants to talk to, you get no time with anybody. Right. And like I, I talk about this with weddings all the time is you go to weddings sometimes and it's like you talk to everybody for three seconds and it's like the night's over and it's like, what did I what did I do? Did Nothing. I, and so I, I've had the, the conversation with many people now. It's like one of my favorite things to say is, hey, listen, I'm at this wedding. I might just find two or three people and talk with them for longer periods and be like, Hey, I really connected with this person. And then maybe follow up. I think networking now, it seems to be everyone's just trying to get as much bang for their buck, doing the least amount of work and making the most connections as opposed to really just being personal with somebody and Hey, maybe have the understanding that out of this event or having met this person, this might be the one person I meet today or over for the week better. and that's fine because it generally seems to be a stronger better relationship that can actually have Benefit something come you. from it absolutely and that's and that's the problem right now i think so many people want the easiness of just going signing up for you know a group session they go out to dinner somewhere and it's a casual you know meet 100 people but i'd rather have five amazing connections that i can pick up the phone and call right now if i've got an issue than a hundred people I kind of barely know that I met at one networking event at the local Italian restaurant that really don't bring any value more saying, Oh, I just know this person, but what do you, what value do they, I've learned because my time is so limited because I work so many hours. I rather value the numbers. I don't want so many, I rather three or four very valuable people. Yeah. It's, it's almost, almost like if we're breaking it down here, you really, it's a better way to create leverage you sure. meeting these people who can actually create real substantive differences in your business because they do a particular thing really well. And I now have this connection that I can call in or, or bring in to assist on a project to, to do whatever. Having those that you can actually turn into something is always better than a bunch of stuff that you can't turn into anything. So it's a really good way to create leverage. And sometimes it's a lot better. And I try to live by this is to go, go deeper rather than shallow with a bunch of different people. And I think this applies to other areas outside of business um, as well. But um, no, I, th I think that's great. Any other, any other tips on, on just business expansion and uh, things that have really helped you to, I guess, turn a corner as far as hitting the next level. So let's maybe apply that question to uh, some of the pool stuff. Was there a moment or a particular phrase that one of these mentors gave you where you're like, yo, I, I think this could be the thing that can push me to the next level. So as, I, as I've been growing in the pool business, you know, as I left the landscape business, I always thought in landscaping, you know, quantity was everything. And as I've learned and met these guys from across the country and have joined different organizations in the pool business, they're like, build 10 pools, build 20 pools, but be the best 20 pool builder out there. Don't chase 100, don't chase 200, don't grow 50 guys. Stay small, five, six, seven guys. Build the best 10 to 30 pools you can build, but stay in your zone. And when the answer is no, just leave it at that. If you can't take on any more, don't keep taking on chasing dollars. Chase the job, not the dollar of, or, you know, in the, the number of customers. Chase the quality over the quantity. Yeah, it, it seems like that that's a big thing. It's 
people always talk about growing their business. And in essence, it's almost part of what this podcast is about is creating growth. But the question that follows after that is like, to what point? To what point, sure. It's like, do we want to have infinite growth? It's like, well, I don't know. Do we? That's a question to consider. I mean, sometimes you have to kind of weigh that with your own life. How does this complement my the rest of my life? How, do, how is my personal life balanced? How are all sure. the other things balanced? So you get to a certain point, you might be like, hey, I'm doing, I'm making 30 pools. They're awesome. Maybe next year I'll even, maybe I'll do 25. I'll do less pools, but they're, they're more complex designs or more intricate things that you're more proud of. Um, but I don't know why, maybe if you even to jump in and, and just maybe put, give your thoughts on, I, I don't know why sometimes people uh, talk about business growth as like, what, what is the end of your business? Is it, is the goal of your business just to grow or like, what are you trying to achieve at the end of the day? You know? So I think a lot of people, when they get into, when they start their business, go, I want to be huge. I want to be Amazon. Well, why, you know, you're better off being, if you're, you know, in the line of work that I do and a lot of work that a lot of people do, don't chase the numbers, chase your bottom line, because you could have, we could do this. We could have the same business. You have double the customers I do, but I could, my bottom line could be double yours. With half the headaches. With half the headaches, half the employees. I, I get to come home and eat dinner with my family. You're out till one o'clock in the morning. I'm home at five. I think everybody just chases like, oh, look how much I have. I have a hundred trucks. You only have five, but you could make five times the amount of money if you have five times, you know? So I always think don't always, every young business owner wants to say, well, look what I have. In the end, no one cares what you have. You know, your, your quality of life, what you have for your family, the money you have for yourself at the end of the day is really what matters. Not by, oh, I have 500 trucks. Nobody really cares. You know, what's valuable is, a, how much money you bring home and how much time you get to spend with yourself or your family or whatever you like to do outside of work. So I, I'm not very familiar with um, the, the pool building industry in general. Um, what would you, how has that been over, I guess, your tenure being in that business? And then how's it been over uh, the past couple of years specifically? Um, and what's the industry look like in general? How many, how many players are in it? Is it, a, is it super competitive? Is it Just give us some insight into that. It's super competitive, but it's not as competitive as something like lawn maintenance and lawn care. You have to have a license. You have to have insurance. You can't just start. I'm going to be a pill builder today. You know, I, so really like the last 10 years, a lot of these older folks from the eighties that were heavy, eighties were a big pool year. Like throughout the eighties, everybody got pools in. Then it kind of died down in the nineties. Why, why is that? I think there's just a boom. Like, okay, it's something that we can actually like afford. We can put a pool in our backyard. We don't have to go to the public pool. The economy was good. Everybody put pools in eighties into the nineties. It kind of slowed down. Then the recession hit back in 08. And then everybody started putting pools back in again. And then now that COVID hit and nobody wants to travel, everybody's exploding to the point that everybody's sold out. So I, I working with a bunch of different manufacturing businesses who during this time have expressed some of their struggle as far as getting materials. Um, What's that been like for you? So it's like, on one hand, it's like, yes, we have good demand. But on the other hand, it's like, are you able to fulfill that demand? No, it's tough because right now the supply chain is so broken. Right. So even if we could get the material we need, we can't get a truck to us. And the factories are shut down. So for us, our hardest thing's been, is been supplies, you know, lights, pumps, filters, heaters. You can't get them. I'm, I'm buying, so the material for this year, I bought, August, September of last year. And I'm just taking delivery on it now. 
there's just no material. And if guys aren't prepared or they don't have the capital to stay prepared, you can't build because you can have all the work in the world, but if you don't have the materials to do it, you're nobody, you're nothing. Right. So let's take this and kind of um, apply it to the initial um, landscaping business. So in that business, you had your lawn care as kind of the the bottom, the thing that, that kind of padded your, your bottom line. Correct. And everything else was more gravy on top of that. So in the pool business, how are you operating? Is is do you have that same type of of padding? Are there things that you could do to to keep that cash flow consistent in some ways, and then other things that are kind of above and beyond? How does that look like with the transition from that to the pools? So for us, it's uh, same thing. So we're the little bit opposite. So so service doesn't bring in business for us, but service is our back end on how we keep the bubble floating. So our, our thing is, is we bring in customers for build, but then we try to hold on to that customer for life on the right. service side of it. So that customer doesn't become a customer for four months. Now they become a customer for 10, 20, 30 years. Um, they become a, that's our service side of it is really our, our cushion, like the mowing side of it was in the landscape business. So we bring that business in from building. So what's, what's the learning curve on that side? Like, uh, I mean, who, who's running that operation? It seems like it's kind of, it's connected, but it seems like it's t- kind of separate at the same time. It is. I mean, it's, it's, so it's connected in a, you have to understand basic pools and how they operate, not so much the construction side of it, but you have to understand chemistry and how pumps work and you know how you keep water clean and don't have algae in it and things like that. So right now I, you know, I do a lot of overseeing of both the construction and uh, service side of it, just because I'm so particular on how things are done. But we have we have systems in place. We have different things in place that you know our service guys are able to check in, and we can see what they're doing and see the different water chemistry readouts just you know remotely. Uh, so for us, technology has been has been a huge help with being able to control our quality uh, because everything is recorded on a phone now. And you think that's a big um, strategic advantage for you guys, the technology side of things technology com- compared is- compared to other other players in the field. Correct. So I think that's, that's helpful because then our clients get this, you know, our clients are involved. We're involved. We can see what's, see what's going on. Everything is documented through a phone and iPad. Um, so I think the technology side of it has really helped us. Right. Keep up our quality and expand. It, it seems like a kind of a hard industry to enter. Like without some, without your background, wouldn't really just jump in and say, oh, I might do this. But even if they did, they'd have to kind of get some education in, in how to do it. So, I mean, it seems like the barrier to entry into the industry is, is kind of tough. It seems Very like tough. a lot of the people who are in this business, it's like generational family businesses or, or, they're, or they're lifers. They've been doing this since they were 20 and they're 75. They're still doing it. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's, and that's what it is. I mean, they call me the kid in the business. No one knows my name, but they go, Oh, that kid, there he comes again. You know, there's no one young. I'm the youngest one by 10, 15 years. You know, there's a couple young guys here and there. They don't last very long. They were spinoffs of somebody else's company. They worked there for 20 years, 15 years, thought they could do it themselves, tried it in two years. They failed. They got to go back and work for somebody. So if you weren't born into this business, it's really, we call it, it's not a young man's game. There really aren't many young people that are involved in really owning, running, a pool business. They're just, I don't know why I think it's either a dying trade because nobody wants to work anymore and it's, it's tough work, long hours. Um, or there's just, like you said, there's just no entry of barrier. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hard to get in. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like, it seems like it's a huge learning curve to get in. And honestly, I think from a strategic perspective, 
if if someone is you know very knowledgeable about something and it's hard to get in, that's a pretty good sign for a business. Whenever your business is hard to get in and you do your business well, it, it's probably a good sign that, okay, maybe this is something I should run with. I'm interested in starting a business. That and Absolutely. Because my competition is low because number one, it's hard to get into. Like you said, there's not many people that build high-end pools. So I just cut my competition in half from less than half. And there's enough work out there for everyone that builds high-end pools that really none of us compete against each other. We kind of stick to our same areas. We have different clientele and we run with our, what we specialize in. Yeah. I was just going to ask about that. So in some industries, you'll see that, um, I don't know, people describe them as cutthroat. Um, Absolutely. And like from being, having a hand in, in the brewing industry, I can tell you that it's very cordial. Everyone's super nice. Um, if they're if a brewery down the street, you know, we have a brewery that's, you know, a mile away. We're kind of friends. You let me send people to the other brewery. That's kind of how it works. But how, how, what does that look like in the pool business? Is it kind of the same way? Is it like you kind of have your, your spot, but you know, there, there's like friendly competition. Is it that kind of feel? So the pool business is cutthroat. I mean, everybody, oh, it is. Oh, okay. yeah, everybody bad mouths each other for whatever reason. <laughs> I don't know why, especially these days when there's so much work to go around, but I would say in most of my areas, I have maybe one competitor and we rarely touch paths with each other, rarely, because I, I'd work off of a lot of referrals. So everything, of everything for me is word of mouth. I'm getting hired by you know, Mrs. Jones up the street or Mrs. Smith up the street because I did their neighbor's pool or their friend's pool. So they're not bidding me out against other people. So we really kind of stay on our own playing fields and we don't get, we don't get involved with each other's work now. Every once in a while, we will. We'll cross a path with the builder. Um, but the middle affordable pools, like the the track pool builders, that's cutthroat. Mm-hmm. Every pool, they, they're they going against two or three people, two or three people. Where us, I rarely, if ever, bid against anybody else. And and with, with that differentiation, so the fact that you don't do what other people do sets you apart. And so it, it inherently can't be as cutthroat because – there's no throats to cut. <laughs> you know what and I mean? people are coming to me for my style. So I, right. you may not like my style. So you'll go to somebody else or you might not like their style. So you come to me. So you're, you're coming to me because you want the product I'm going to deliver. Right. So, so you're saying that a lot of the traditional or some of the, um, I guess, longstanding businesses, sometimes they have a, like a, a book and here, here's the pools that we build. Correct. And it's like very cookie cutter. And so if everyone has the same pools they can build, what's setting you apart. Um, so yeah, I can see where that, that of course, that's going to be more cutthroat, more competition is going to be there. Um, but what also seems to show through is how important your reputation is in, in all of this. That's why you're getting the referral to Mrs. Smith down the street. So maybe just speak to for, for a moment, you know, how um, reputation has played a role in, in building your business, in your ability to expand, to create leverage, what role has that played? So my reputation has meant everything because because we don't advertise, everything's word of mouth. Everybody refers to me because they know, hey, Adam's going to be there. If there's a problem, Adam's there. Adam's there to set up. Adam's always there. You get Adam's cell phone. It's always Adam. So I think that really helped me out in growing was the I'm around factor, that I'm here, I'm there. And you're not chasing down the field manager, the salesman, because a lot of these pool businesses, the salesmen are 
have a that's their part-time job they have a full-time job somewhere else so once they make the sale you never see them again then there's an excavation manager then a plumbing manager then a plaster manager so you never get the same person the owners in florida off on the, you know at their second house and never around right. where that's the difference you know is i'm there so it, it seems like a, a lot of a lot of times especially when so someone's building a high-end pool they want to build a high-end pool you come in and do it for them there's client servicing required yes um sometimes that can be a drag on the business depending on industry you're in because sometimes it's you're working hours not really getting paid for or there's things drag out longer than they should as far as as the servicing side of things yes um what, what do you do to what things do you put in place i guess to mitigate some of that extra time to to make your business as efficient as possible so you're not being dragged into you know client service issues that inordinately take over more time than they should like of course there's got to be client service that's part of any good business Absolutely. model but there's also this other side of the coin where it's like if mrs smith is complaining about certain things you can't then divert all your attention to mrs smith because then the business goes to the wayside so how do you how do you balance that so I think going back to technology, it's helped a lot. So before you'd, you know, you'd come home, you wouldn't have a cell phone. You had to go call it every little service call. Well, now you can say, take a picture and send it to me. Just call me. So being having a personal cell phone, being accessible to people via cell phone has eliminated a lot of, a lot of meetings um, and, and unnecessary service calls and things like that. So like, for instance, today, there's a foot of snow on the ground. We can't be outside working. I'm home. I can actually, I could take 15 meetings in what it would normally do to take one. If I was out on the road, I just mm-hmm. sit on zoom. I can go through people's designs. I can share designs with them. So I think being able to manage customers expectations and be more available to more people. I think the technology side of it has really allowed us to grow. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to be there on every little service call. If my guys have a problem in the field, the customers, my suppliers, just pick up the phone and call me, send me a picture, FaceTime, Zoom. You're always available. You can be available 24 hours a day and you don't have to be in the field anymore. Let's, um, I want to hear about some specifics in regards to, um, I guess, what is your, what is, what is your vision? So you, you've, you've transitioned into the pools having come from the landscaping industry is this is this is this the end goal is just to refine further refine this or is it to um go move into maybe even a higher end if that if that's possible and i guess it, or is it too soon to tell or what what, what kind of thoughts have pat- crossed over your head as far as possible ways for the future so the end goal for me is you know this is this i thought was my end goal when i was in the landscape side of it like hey i want to build something bigger and better and I knew I always wanted to be in the pool business and little by little, I made myself there. But now that I'm here, I'm realizing I also want to be you know, more of a higher end, if that is possible. I really want to be a traveling pool builder. I want to travel. I want to design. I don't want to be only in New Jersey. I want to chase the big pools in the Bahamas, chase the pools in Florida, chase the pools in California. So I think for me is is being really an international pool builder and, internet, and, and an international designer. I think is my end game. Not that I'm in any rush and maybe it's a more of a retirement end game for me. Um, but that's, that's the ultimate goal. Uh, that, that, that sounds, that sounds awesome. And maybe this is a good time to, to talk about, you know, using the business as a tool, not just for 
its end purpose of, you know, creating pools and designing the best pools possible, but also to crafting the best life for yourself. So if one of your things is, Hey, I love traveling. I love fishing with two things. I know you love. Absolutely. And so how do you, uh, maybe talk to how, Hey, listen, I, I have this, this, this business here. I'm, I'm doing good work with this business, but I can also use this business to further some of my personal goals. I want to, if I want to travel more, I want, I want to go to California. Hey, there's just somebody in Sacramento who needs a really big pool and I could build it. Absolutely. So, so talk about that. So, so for us is we, we've been able to, you know, follow some of our client or tell around that's, you know, their, their main house or secondary or third home is in New Jersey, but Hey, I got a house in Florida. Can you help me design the pool? Hmm. So we've been there. We've, we've traveled around, helped our current clientele design their pools. But while I'm away, I get to go on my fishing trip in Florida. Hey, and it's paid for because I'm on business and I get to go here. I get to go there. So it is, I think the pool business more than any other business I've been involved in has let me to expand on my personal, my personal adventures and also my uh, personal interests, you know, being able to, like you said, travel, fish, get to see different places of the country. And, and I think people don't often, I'm sure a lot of people do, but at the same time, I think there's a whole section of people who probably don't think about that. They probably don't think, Hey, it's like my business is here. My personal life is here. Yes. I earn money from my business that can be used in my personal life, but this is different. It's not just like, Oh, I'm building pools, earning money. And then using that money to go on vacations to the cool places. They're actually much more intertwined. Like I'm, I'm, I'm traveling to do my job and then just reaping the benefits while I'm there. Well, exactly. So, so it seems like, I don't know. I think this is a conversation that should be had more because if even if someone has a current job and there's things they want to do, even just traveling, if you're a traveling salesperson, whatever you are, you can probably be linking up your personal interest with that business in some way or another. No, it's true. I mean, I think a lot of people, like you said, just use their income to expand on their personal joys. But especially if you're self-employed, why don't you create your business to allow you to do more personally? like travel and do things and take your businesses different locations and go to see different parts of the world and different parts of the country. Yeah. And so let's talk about end goals. And so you mentioned you kind of, you kind of hit on this and with the traveling and, and, and the fishing and all those other things you want to do. Sometimes like we talked about before, people, they focus on the growth of the business and I want to grow the business, but it's like, what's the end goal? The end goal, I guess it can, but it, I don't I don't see why it would be just to grow the business. seems like it should be to grow the business, to do something. So to me, you, you've kind of shown that, hey, you know, I like to travel. That's kind of the end end goal. Do you think people often underestimate or um, don't think enough about what that end end goal is? I think so. I think some people get caught up in their day to day operation and that, hey, we just got to keep growing, got to keep making money, got to expand, got to expand, got to get bigger. And they don't look at, okay, where's this business going to take me? what is my end goal and you know, how can I use this business to my advantage to better my life? Not just let the business run you, you run the business. Right. So, so how do you personally, how do you create that space? How do you get that space to be, Hey, let me think more strategically about this. It could just be that simple. Hey, I'm going to take a day off, go to a lake, sit there, write down some long-term vision for what ideally I would like that happen. But for you personally, what, what rituals or habits do you kind of instill in, in your life to help, craft that vision so i think i think what how i craft that vision is is i i sat back when you know when times get tough and realize okay 
this can't be me forever. When times get stressful, when times are harder on the business, okay, what's the end goal? How can I start to back myself out slowly that I'm still working, but the business isn't just running me every day? What can I do to run the business and what what can I do to make my end goal more reachable? Yeah, so so you mentioned how this isn't sustainable. So if you ever you see things in your business and you're like, this isn't sustainable. So you can almost say that one of the, keys of, or one of the um, hallmarks of a successful business is this is sustainable. I, I could do this for a long time. Absolutely. So it's like, okay, now I'm building pools. I have one I'm building in Seattle. I have one I'm building in Southern California. I have one I'm building in two I'm building in New Jersey right now. And I'm going on traveling trips every month. I'm fishing in all these places. This is sustainable. I'm spending time with my family. This is a sustainable thing. Absolutely. I think what my hardest part was and, and why I kind of switched my end game and, you know, looking to travel more for business and being able to work in different locations is because I was, I was the guy first in, I still am first into work last home at the end of the day in the hole every day, trying to run the business, trying to dig, trying to put rebar in, trying to plumb, trying to do this, trying to do that and realize, okay, my body can't take this forever. I can't, be in the field all day, come home at night and try to run a company building 50 pools. It's just not going to happen. So I think that was the big realization. Okay. I have to be able to make this manageable, that it is sustainable, that I can do this forever. Yeah. So let me just go through a, a few uh, quick, quick hitters real quick. So if there's something that, um, I guess if you, if you could spend more time on that would create a, a drastic impact in your business, what would that be? I think the thing that would make a, a that I could spend more time on is is my design and my design work. I think my design work, yes, my pool set themselves apart, but I think the design of that pool is more the the what distinguishes me from everybody else. So if I could be home or in my office longer designing, I think mm-hmm. that would set me apart even further than having to uh, not rush designs, but make them more efficient so I can get more done or do more. If I could sit back and do less and expand on them, I think that would help my end goal. Hmm. So it's again, it's not, not getting caught in the, the hamster wheel. Kind exactly. Of get having some time away from that to be like, Hey, listen, um, I now have more time. And so I can give more time to this particular pool and I have more of my creative ideas I can implement or experiment with new things that maybe no one else is doing in the industry. I can start to do that. Um, so that, I think that's a great point. Um, what's what's a, a project you're working on right now that you're super excited about? If, if you're at liberty to talk about it, but. Um, Absolutely. So we actually just finished up a pool not too recently that just won pool a year in the Northeast, hoping to take that pool to the national show. So that for me was a massive undertaking a fun project I really wanted to work on. We have another pool coming up to the same caliper uh, down along the Jersey coast, just a lot of neat, unique features, you know, acrylic panels on the walls to make the pool look like a giant fish tank. Whoa. A lot of fire, a lot of water. And I, you know, that's what excites me. It's this things that you don't see on the day-to-day basis. So talk to me. I've seen some of your stuff. I've seen stuff on your Instagram. I've seen stuff um, of pictures that you've sent me. What's um, I guess what are other things you're integrating? I see you use a lot of lights, a lot of different like fire is incorporated. A lot of fire. So what was the inspiration for that? And, and is that something people are actively asking for? It is. Um, so, you know, for me, I, like I said, I do things different. So a lot of my pools now we've been, we, we use fire. We use a lot of acrylic panels. 
Um, my new thing is fiber optic stars to make look like the sky is reflecting on the pool. So at Whoa. night is uh, that's pretty sweet. I, those are the things I think when the modern with modern technology, people are really starting to lean towards. Okay, I don't want a basic pool in the ground anymore. I want something that's a work of art. You want the full light show. I want the full light show. I want the 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 lights that twinkle to my music, the stars that look like it's coming out of the sky, the fire features to be lit up. <laughs> yeah, man. This brings us actually back to you know when we were younger in high school, man. You had those. Even early on, you had the outdoor movie theater. You had the, the rock speakers. The rock speakers. I, I remember those, man. And it was like, it's almost like it's, this has been in, in the in the making for a long time. I think it just, it's my creative mind that just keeps rolling. Okay, now that I made the fire feature, what's next? How much bigger can I make this fire? How cool can I make these stars twinkle? How fast can I make this water spill? So I think for me and in these cool projects is, okay, I did it. Now, what? how can we make it bigger? How can we make it better? Right. So that every year... I reach a new milestone that I want to reach. Is there anything that you haven't done before where a client kind of surprised you and you're like, whoa, you want that? And you kind of didn't never done it before, but you're like accepted it as a challenge. I I did. I so I just finished up a pool that uh last year it was a it was 52 jets in the spa. So it was the most I've ever done. Wow. Which is way more than the normal pool builder builds with eight. And he wanted this eight, eight jets. Eight jets is the average spa across the 50, whole country. 52. 52. And he wanted a massive wall with see-through waterfalls. So he didn't want to see where the water came out of. He just wanted them spilling through these open windows. So I took the challenge on and halfway through the project, I said, you know, it would be really cool. Let's put fire on top of the water. So I took his crazy idea and made it even crazier. So now I've got the tallest, biggest fire feature I can, and I know of on the Jersey coast. Yeah, man, I'm gonna have to see some pictures after that. That sounds that sounds nice. It was cool. And that pool just won, yeah. It just won pool the northeast. That, so the that, that's week. the one. That's, that's the one. one. Yep. And every person that came by and, and saw it was like, how was that possible? And it just took a lot of time and a lot of years of just playing with things to be able to do it. So you mentioned this is national. I mean, I, I've been to nationals for other things or big, big conventions. So th this is the national, like the one for pools. This is the international pool and spa show. So, so this year it's in uh, Vegas. Yeah, it, it's crazy, man. Like you, you think that you're in a niche and then you realize how many people are also in that niche. Like it's like, it really is. Like if I went to this show and saw the amount of people there, I, I'd be probably blown away by how many people are that into pool design, designing pools and just everything that comes along with that. It's crazy. The first time I went to the international show, so the Northeast show is is a huge show, but it's a lot of service company, a lot of small track builders. When I got to the international show and got to the international design competitions, I'm realizing, wow, there's a lot of guys that do what I do, that love what they do, that push design to the next level, which to me is cool. Like, why should Jersey be the only one that does it? Why should I be the only Expand it. Let it be across the world. Keep pushing better innovation. Do you think that, Um, I guess there's so many different ways that that certain designs could go. So in, in your head, if you have a design set, and like you said in this past example, hey, you know, um, a client gave you an idea and you kind of built upon that. Have you been given anything yet that you're like, oh man, I don't I don't know. Or you always just accepting that challenge and hey, listen, I don't know if I can do it, but I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try. I don't think I have any design yet that I said, I don't think this is gonna work. I may have to think about how I'm gonna make it work, but I've never had a design that I've ever walked away from or 
have steered away from because I thought not nah, it's huh. impossible. I find a way to make it work, whether I'll lose nights of sleep over it to design it and engineer it to make it work correctly. Well, I'll, I'll commend you for that, man. That's pretty admirable. Um, so at, at these shows, these really, these really intrigue me, man. I, I've, I've been to things before and I've said this before about hobbies. I like hobbies a lot. And um, this though, you think that, you know, you, you know, your thing, like if you're into something, you know, that thing, but then you realize that everyone has their thing and there are groups of things for everybody. Absolutely. And like, I, I was at the dentist one time and this woman starts talking to me about how she's um, this basket weaver. And she goes to like this basket weaving national convention. I'm like, what? And she said, there's thousands of people who come. I'm like, I had no idea. Like that people weave, that made people weave baskets. Right. Like I, I know maybe one person, this woman who does that. And besides that, I, I know nobody. But yet, this place is, is full. It's teeming with people. At, at your so at, at your place, what do you see that people in your community uh, gravitate towards? Is it like do you think that the reason that this pool in the Northeast stood out was because um, it, it was trying new things? It was pushing the boundaries of where pools have gone in the past. I think so uh, because everything is so cut and dry now in the pool business and that there's a very few of us that are actually really pushing this envelope to the next level. I think that's what made it stand out. Like, wow, no one's ever done this here. This looks like a Florida pool. No one's pushed it to the Northeast. I think that, and I always design things that catch people's eyes. Why do people go to, you know, the grand Canyon? Why do people go to these national parks to see things, that are eye catching. So show them water, show them fire, show them features that you normally don't see. Cause once you pull a customer in and they see those crazy features and say, well, I could have that in my backyard. It sells itself. You don't have to sell it for it. Yeah, totally agree. What, what's, what's the coolest thing that you've seen lately? So whether, whether it's you or not, what's the other coolest thing? Maybe you've seen someone else do and you're like, well, that's, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty tight. I'm, I might, I might try to do that or I might try to uh, outdo that at some point. I think my the coolest things I see are acrylic panels and lazy rivers. So oh. lazy rivers, lazy, like lazy rivers in people's backyards. In la- yeah, in backyards. So we we designed one. Uh, my clients, you don't see them up here because their backyards aren't really that big where I design and build. But people that design and build them across the country, I think that's like okay, you've just taken someone's water park dream to their backyard. And then throwing in an acrylic panel so you can see through the whole thing. I think that's just one of the coolest things in the pool business. Do you think I, I've always, I've never had a pool. I've known people that have had pools. I'm always excited to go to their place and use their pool. Do you think it's uh, pools in general um, are something that people utilize more when they appreciate the aesthetics of it? I think so, because I think if it's just a plain Jane pool in someone's backyard, they use it less because it's just a, it's just a hole of water. When you have something that has cool features, cool aesthetics, things that you don't see, it's like you're going to your backyard resort. Like, okay, look what I have. And every time you go out there, it just memorizes you more and more. Yeah. Um, so what's uh, what excites you right now? This is just kind of a general question. What excites you as far as the pool business going forward? And then just in general, maybe other things that um, from outside that have kind of sparked your creativity or whatever. What, what's, what excites you right now? Innovation, I know it's a broad topic, but innovation excites me. Just being able to do things, change things, come up with things and collaborate with other people to bring innovative design features, 
a technology to different, not even to the pool business. I'm starting to work with, you know, backyard and interior designers. Okay. How can we take the technology that we're bringing to the pools now hmm. inside? How can we change the, the pergola lights at the same time we're changing the pool lights? How can we integrate the, your fire feature with my fire feature, just bringing all that technology and innovation together as one. So now we're making these backyards and these homes so seamless and everything just works together and, Create nights and a you know a nice outdoor living space for people that really makes their outdoor resort. Um, there's a lot of companies now that are very into, um, I guess, things that are monitored. So you have the Nest system for yes. homes. You have Ring for the front door. Um, what's what's next for pools? What, what's what's that thing like the? I mean, they might already have it. I don't I don't know. But like, what's the pool monitor? And if there already is one, is there going to be some overall integration or is that part of what excites you about creating that and seeing where that goes? So we, uh, so there's been pool monitoring for years and they, uh, it's been okay. Um, actually recently I was asked to help out with the new technology panel in the pool business hmm. and that panel is taking all the technology out there, put it together and making it tenfold better being able to integrate it with everybody's smart home automation being able to monitor the pool tell you how fast your pool is going to heat up because it knows your backyard it's using ai technology it's actually taking these old pool technology and bringing it if to you know to 2022 it's not just sitting on the hands and saying oh well it works good enough it's tech guys that are really bringing the future of technology to the pool business so i think that's you know for us is very exciting to be able to help develop that that platform to be able to grow the country's pools and you know internationally to be able to grow the pool service and pool monitoring so let's flip this question on its head right now so we just kind of went through things that are extremely innovative things that excite you let's get back to the basics here about water like pools the basic thing about a pool is water water yep. what what is it about water that that draws people i guess you, you have the basic things like oh we need it to survive all, all that kind of jazz but like what is it about, what is so refreshing about water? So I think, I think with water and the way I look at water is, okay, why do people go to Niagara Falls? Hmm. They love the sound of it. That's a massive, you know, water feature in my opinion. So if we just take any water feature and make it on any scale, why do people, people put ponds? Why do people put water fountains? I, bro, I, I listen to, uh, to, to rainfall and like thunderstorms when I go to bed at night. That's what I listen to. And, and every, and it relaxes your mind. Yeah. The sound of water just shuts everything down in people's mind. It makes people relax. That's why meditation music is always waterfalls. It kind of puts you in your place too. You know, you ever go to the ocean and you get knocked over by a wave? It's like, oh my gosh, that was just like one small wave and this whole huge thing. You know what I mean? It it's kind very of, powerful. Yeah, it puts you in your place. Um, I don't know. So I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting question, but I, I think that the average person who uh, has a pool probably knows this stuff, but they're not thinking about it. You know what I mean? Like sure. they, they know that water's important. They're kind of almost subliminally confirming this by them putting a pool in, but I don't know if they're actively thinking about it. It's true. Cause I think most people just use their pool to use their pool. But once you start appreciating your pool as a, you know, another body of water and as another thing, I see a lot of my clients just go outside and just go sit by their pool. They're going to sit by just to just be memorized by it. Is, uh, what percentage like there's, a, there's been a big push recently, you know, with companies like Peloton, who's kind of really expanded over over the course of COVID. What is, for you, the opportunity in pools in regards to exercise and, and fitness? I feel like, are most of the pools you put in place for aesthetic reasons or is it for exercise? And I realize they can be 
dual purpose, obviously, sure. but like, is there, are there people coming to you saying like, Hey, I'm putting in a pool because I want to swim laps. Cause I want to, I want to that to my cardio. Like, you know I, what I, mean? I think most, I would say 95% of my clientele that comes to me really want it. They really want their pool for aesthetics. So you, you've had people come to you about yes, fitness, yep. fitness reasons. So they make, we, we sell and install, you know, in place swimming jets. So, you know, swim in place, Badu. Um, people have come to me and say, Hey, I don't have a big pool, but I don't want to, when I swim, I don't want to move. Hmm. So we've put in swim jets so they can sit there like the Michael Phelps swim jet. And, uh, so, so there are people that use it for fitness, but I would say most of the people now are just using it as, as their backyard masterpiece. Right. So this goes to show that like, no matter what industry you're in, there's always these tangential things that can be made into new businesses. So we're talking about um, pools, the aesthetics of pools. I think if you go back to like the eighties, people were putting pools in, it wasn't, it was probably just to, to hang out. It's a hot day. I want to hang out. They just put a hole in the ground, put a hole in the ground. I'm going to put some water in it and just hang out. Done. But nowadays it's like, where, where can this go? That's, that's kind of the question. So we have this pool in place. It can be used for fitness. So it's not only, are you in the recreation business as far as putting pools in, you're also borderline on the, on the, on the fitness business. No, and that's true. I mean, so, so for us, and I think as these swim in place jets become more and more popular, it's going to be a dual purpose. So it's, you know, fitness and aesthetics. And I think I, I, I see that going that direction in the future. What's, um, what, what's, we touched on your vision a bit, but going forward, what are the most transformational changes you're looking to make over the next 90 days? Sometimes we can get bogged down in the long-term vision it's too far away. I, I I see it, but it's overwhelming right now. So what are the things that you do or goals that you put in place maybe on like a 90 day period to be like, okay, let's just, let's just shoot for this. And when we get to that hurdle, we'll kind of look at the next one. But for you, what's that look like right now? So my big thing right now is, you know, being able to manage time better. So maybe it is stepping out early one day a week and going, go back to the office and being able to manage the business more than being able, you know, the being day to day in the field. And that's my, that's my short-term goal, knowing that, you know, spring for us is only a month away and we're going to be back full-time 80 hours a week running around like crazy, trying to get people in their pools by the summertime. So I think being able to step back and manage it more is, you know, is my short-term goal. Cool, man. That, that sounds great. Um, if there's ever anything I can do, or if you're ever looking to, um, find some more inspiration. We'll go to some resort somewhere and we'll Absolutely. figure it out. Um, but I want just want to take this time to say thank you very much for coming on. Appreciate you having me here. I, I, I really appreciate you coming. I really appreciate your feedback. And uh, for the next few seconds, if anything you want to plug, any websites or uh, social media you want to talk about, feel free. So follow us at Instagram at Steels Pools and steelspools.com and uh, check out what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. If you're not yet a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Um, if you want to write to us, um, you can write to us at our email or on our Instagram. Um, I'm Greg Subasinski, and you've been listening to the Beverage and Leverage podcast. As always, keep pushing forward one step at a time.